You know, it's been a strange last year. It really has. Uh, what's felt normal the last year? And when there's a lot of kind of changes and uncertainty and unpredictability, a lot of people have been asking, is this the end? Are these the end times? And what do we need to know about the end times? Well, in this section, in this passage right here, and also in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter talks about the end times. There's a statement in this section, the end is near. What does that mean? The end is near. And how do we respond? What does God say about end times? And what does God say about our responses? We're going to dive into that tonight in 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's pray. Father God, we give you all the glory, all the glory for every blessing, God. And we know we are yours, uh, gifts you give us, resources you give us, friends, family, encouragement, your word, vision, direction. We thank you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. And God, we pray tonight that we wouldn't be discouraged or fearful or worried or timid or in despair because we know that's not from you. God, but we pray that you would renew our minds and that you would transform our lives. In Jesus, we would trust you in deeper ways. We would understand the times and we would step up for your glory. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. I'm convinced that we need more of God's perspective. Amen? We get all kinds of opinions these days, all kinds of voices. There's all kinds of personal perspectives, but what we really need is God's perspective. And where do you find God's perspective? You find it in the Word. God's Word, the Bible, is God's perspective. So I want to encourage you to be intentional and spend time in the Word. You can listen to it, you can listen to teaching, you can read it, you can memorize it, you can meditate on it, you can discuss it in your homes, spend time in the Word, enjoy time in the Word. God communicates through His Word, and as you spend time in the Word, God will renew your mind. He will bring renewal in your mind. There'll be a fervency in your faith, and the Word of God then dwells in you, and you're a doer of the Word. It's going to bring God glory. You're going to sense a closeness to God as well, but that renewal of the mind, we need minds renewed so there's revival in the land, and we want to spend time in God's Word. That's what we do in our church, and tonight we're in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse by verse. We're going to look at three important areas, God's perspective in these three areas, and then also three specific actions we can take in each of these areas. The first area is suffering. And maybe this has been a year of sorrow for you and there's been more suffering than other years. And the action we can take is find what is redemptive. Find what is redemptive during times of suffering. Chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Suffering is real. Uh, personally, I'm someone who oftentimes denied it 
denied pain, and in that denial, kind of a stoic, and sometimes it's a false spirituality to deny the suffering we're going through. So God has really worked on me over the decades to just acknowledge their suffering, to cry, to grieve, because those weren't natural places for me to go. But I know God is with me in those places. I just don't want to minimize the grieving that we go through. Having said that, this passage here is going to emphasize a mindset. It says, have the same attitude as Jesus. The same attitude literally means the same thoughts as Jesus. The mind of Christ. This is a mindset, and Peter writes, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves. It was a term in the army a soldier would put on armor. Arm yourself with this mindset. You have a mindset that you choose in times of suffering, so have the same mind as Christ. Well, what does that look like? Peter gives us some specifics. First of all, move away from sin. The one who suffered physically moves away from sin. So how does that work? When things are going smoothly in our lives, sometimes we kind of play games. We have a front. We have hidden sins. We have sneaky sins. We live a double life. We start looking at things we shouldn't look at. And when suffering comes, uh, that's a time reminding us we need God and draw near to God. The Holy Spirit convicts and the Holy Spirit reveals how destructive sin is and even how disgusting sin truly is. And with that conviction, we respond. When we're in sin, we know because the Holy Spirit is saying, this is not where you belong. You're someone who walks in the light. You're someone with integrity. You're someone who is in God's family. This is not where you belong. So whatever the cost, get out of the sin. And suffering humbles us in a way that oftentimes we move out of sin while we're suffering. Now, in a culture where sin is popular, sin is glorified, uh, well, what's going to happen when we stop sinning, stop doing the things we used to do? The culture is not going to applaud. And at first, they're going to think it's kind of strange that we're not doing what other people are doing. We're not doing the same gossip that other people are doing. We're not doing the same slander as other people are doing. Like, this is different. You're not lying like other people are lying at the workplace. Like, you're doing something different. They're going to say, this is strange. How come you don't get drunk on the weekends? Like, I don't understand. How come you're not swearing? I don't understand it. It's strange. But then as you not only step out of that sin, but then go in an opposite direction, now it gets kind of convicting. And if you really take a stand with the Bible, with your life, and with your words, now they're going to heap abuse on you. So that's what Peter's walking them through in terms of a mindset of Christ, stepping out of sin, going countercultural, and yes, sometimes there's going to be a cost. But moving out of sin is actually a benefit. Uh, in my life when I've suffered, it's been times of real purity because uh, I just know I need the Lord and draw near to him. There's also times when we suffer of accelerated growth. And look at Romans chapter 5 here, verses 1 through 5. It lays out this beautiful picture and sequence. Therefore, since we have been justified, it's like declared righteous through faith. We now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. That describes our salvation experience. It's by grace. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. And that's where you kind of say, come again? Now, how does that work out? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame 
Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we suffer, there's joy because we know that the suffering has redemptive purposes, that God is changing our character to be more like Christ. We can find hope in that. And there's a process of transformation that's often accelerated during suffering. I've seen this many times in ministry. Someone will sit under sermons for three years and there's a little bit of growth, but then the suffering comes and there's more growth in those three weeks of suffering than there was in just cruising along for three years. And sometimes when we're suffering, we say yes to Jesus in new ways. We grow. We start getting into the Word. We start getting on our knees. We start surrendering our lives. And in suffering, there's this acceleration. And I like the exclamation point here at the end. God's love poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Uh, It was in immense suffering that I feel like I really began to know the Holy Spirit and listen to the Holy Spirit and love the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's communication and empowering. It's in that suffering when no one else is in the room and no one else in the world really understands that you know you're not alone and you know the Holy Spirit is there and there's this an acceleration, a closeness with God and you receive love. When you suffer, one of the most important things you can do is receive the Holy Spirit, receive God's love in your heart and keep receiving. The Holy Spirit doesn't run out of love. So there's moving away from sin. There's an acceleration of growth. And then also there's oftentimes a revealing and a commitment to a clear passion and purpose where you discover this is what I'm all about. This is how I'm going to live. And instead of just trying to numb some pain or avoid pain, which is popular, instead that pain almost becomes a fuel and you say my time on earth is short i don't want to waste it redeem the times the bible says and i'm just talking about in the valley where we listen to god and grow and he gives us that purpose it's in that stretch in my 20s in the 1990s when god spoke to me in that pain and said this is what your life's going to be all about it's going to be about going deep with me helping other people go deep with me and leading people to jesus and teaching it and and it was in that that the purpose was forged a lot of times it's in your immense suffering that you realize you know i'm not called to do that i am called to do this I can't take someone else's call. I've got my own call in my life. This is what God's called me. It could be as a parent. It could be as a grandparent. It could be as a neighbor. It could be as a coworker. It could be cleaning, and you clean for the glory of God. And when you clean, that thing shines with the glory of God. Whatever the Lord's calling you to do, it's often in the crucible and in the fire. It's revealed, and you say, yes, Lord, and you surrender, and there's beauty in that in the suffering and what God reveals. There's redemptive qualities to suffering. Uh, Here's one story that's encouraging out of California. There's a couple that was going to get married, and so many couples over the last year have wanted this grand wedding, had plans for it. And then when the pandemic hit, a lot of changes. This couple was going to go all out. Huge wedding, $20,000. And their caterer, Elaine Bell, was all set But then with the pandemic, they realized we just can't move forward with it. They were hoping, you know, by now they'd be able to have their festive celebration. But instead, they had to cancel and change the plans. So this is thousands of meals that they decided instead of the 20K uh, being returned, this is what the couple decided. We are going to feed people who are in poverty. We're going to feed people who are homeless. 
And they brought meals through the Boys and Girls Clubs, overnight shelters and supports, SOS, another group. This is the menu. I'm getting hungry reading this. Uh, beef empanadas, pasta bolognese, tamales, penny with sausage, uh, black beans, fresh corn salad, grissini breadsticks, fresh fruit, churros with chocolate dip sauce. Someone's got to make some churros tonight and it has some chocolate dip sauce. So imagine how surprised people were in the neighborhood who were poor, who didn't eat like this, homeless people as well, and through different ministries. And uh, they provided this meal. Everyone loves it, they said. Everyone was grateful for it. And these were hungry people. In addition to this, supporting this local business, it wasn't just the food that was distributed, but Elaine has had this catering business for 40 years. And it's been such desperate times the last year that she and her husband sold their house just so they could keep going with their business. And you think of a lot of local businesses and what they've gone through this last year. So it was to support the local business as well. And she just said it gave my crew so much work to do and they were so proud in, in the good sense of being proud of being able to help the community. And what a shot in the arm. And you say, there it is. In the suffering, okay, $20,000, the wedding isn't on like it was supposed to be, but what's the redemptive piece here? May we have that perspective. When our plans get canceled, when doors close, what's the redemptive opportunity that we have? I believe as followers of Jesus, we're made for this. We're made for suffering and redemptive purposes. When I look at the Bible, I say that's when people really stood up. That's when Joseph stepped into Egypt and realized with God's help that we can feed people in this crisis and feed people who don't have anything to eat. Uh, that's when Daniel in Babylon, the darker the country was, the more his light was shining. That was Daniel realizing that someone's got to pray and stand in the gap throughout the day, fast and pray. And he was rising up in Babylon. That's when Peter is going to step out and he's going to bring the gospel to person after person, seeing thousands come to know Jesus. When persecution increases, his proclamation is bolder and he steps up. And all this just goes back to Jesus, who, while he's killed and murdered, the love he has, the forgiveness he has, the way he steps up in the middle of the suffering on the cross I don't know what your theology is of suffering, but following Jesus, we're going to go through it. But don't miss the redemptive work of God in the middle of the suffering. A way to summarize it, the more suffering there is, so often, the more that lives are transformed. Lives are transformed so often in the deepest suffering. And that's what Peter's saying to a group of people who are really suffering, really suffering. So let's have God's perspective with suffering. And then, here's the second area. This is the end times. And the action we can take here is to understand the big picture. Understand God's plan. Let's take a look at verse 7. Peter declares, the end of all things is near. He really unpacks this in 2 Peter chapter 3. But the end times are a theme throughout his two letters. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. 
offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Understand the times. He writes, the end of all things is near. In other words, the end is drawing near. There's eventually going to be Christ's return, a new heaven, and a new earth. God has a plan. God's plan included Christ coming to the earth, his death on the cross, then his resurrection, then his ascension into heaven, then Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The next major event is Jesus coming back. We're living in this time, and no one knows the day Christ will return. We're living in this time of grace, where every single day more people are coming into the kingdom. Jesus is going to return. We don't know when. We're getting obviously closer every day. And it's a very unique time in God's plan that more people are coming to know him. But his return is imminent, and uh, God wants us to notice the clues. Notice the clues. Say, where are the clues? Matthew 24, there's a lot of clues. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 24. And the context here, verse 3, the disciples come to him and they say, tell us, you know, when's this going to happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? It's the very question so many people have been asking me. The end of the age. Are we getting close? How do we know? How do we understand the times? Notice what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to read uh, several verses here. Jesus answered, watch out so that no one deceives you. In other words, there's going to be a lot of deception in the end times. Deceiving people about following Jesus, the teaching, and the word. A lot of deception. Many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ. I just think of Jim Jones, but there's others. And will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Get it? Don't be alarmed. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. You think of pregnancy and delivery, the beginning of the birth pains. And look at statistics about famines and earthquakes And notice what's happening. Jesus continues, and he also says in verse 9, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. There's been more persecution in the last century than any other time in history. You will be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and even hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase in wickedness, there will be an increase in wickedness The love of most will grow cold. People's faith growing cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And then this is in verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. What a beautiful promise. And then verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel... Let the reader understand. 
Uh, I don't have time to unpack everything in Daniel, but notice Daniel had prophecies about the end times, one of which I believe is a seven-year period that hasn't happened yet. And there's an antichrist who comes, a literal antichrist on the earth. Uh, there's, we worship Father God, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a false trinity of the devil, the antichrist, and a false prophet. And this is laid out in the book of Revelation too. Dive into Daniel. Know what Daniel prophesies. Uh, also, know about the Antichrist. It's throughout the New Testament. Know who this person is. Know what they're going to do. Study up. Be aware of what's going on. Jesus wants us to know of Daniel or else he wouldn't have referred to it. Jesus wants us to know these things. Not just know the weather, but know the times we're living in. You say, well, then so how do we respond to all this? And, and this is what's emphasized. First of all, prayer. Clear-minded. Live a life of self-control so that you can pray. It's hard to be spiraling out of control and praying. Self-control, clear-minded, and pray. James is a no-nonsense half-brother of Jesus who didn't believe his brother for so long, finally believed, and he shoots real straight. He says in James chapter 5, starting in verse 7, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? And how patient the farmer is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm. Because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. James says, my half-brother Jesus, who's the King of kings and Lord of lords, is standing at the door. So don't grumble against each other. You love each other. And stand firm. What does a farmer do? Knows when to pray, relying on God. Knows when to plant seeds. Knows when to wait. But it's an active patience. It's not a passive patience. Active patience, persevering, trusting God. It's a great picture of a posture in the end times. Also, Peter writes about hospitality. Peter says, love each other deeply. And this word is an athlete, sprinter, crossing the finish line, leaning in. Say, well, how do we love each other? Just from like this, like this. No, the picture is like that. We are leaning in to know, to love, to serve each other. Is that your posture, like crossing that finish line, going for that record, first place, running for the goal, the prize that God has called you? Lean in with love. Lean in with hospitality. Don't box and compartmentalize hospitality to just your home. Because some people do that. Well, it's just my home. COVID, can't really have people over. I guess this verse doesn't apply for this year. Hospitality is when you're at church. You lean in with love. Hospitality is when you're at home. Hospitality is at the workplace. Hospitality is when you're online. Some people are rude online. There's no hospitality. Social media comments, no hospitality. Wherever you go, you bring the hospitality. You bring the culture. It doesn't mean introverts have to be extroverted, but it means that you have a, a posture of love. You're praying for people. You're listening well. You're caring. You're looking to love people. He says that's how we are to live. And then also serving. This is a great passage on serving and spiritual gifts. Some other passages, uh, in addition to 1 Peter 4, you can look up Ephesians 4, Romans 12, and 1 Corinthians 12. Again, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4. And I encourage you to really know what your gifts are. There's a wide range of gifts in the Bible. God's given every follower of Jesus spiritual gifts. And are your gifts administration, help, uh, leadership, 
teaching. I mean, there's so many gifts listed. And here's two mistakes when it comes to gifts. Some people think, I don't really have a gift. It's not true. My gifts aren't important. It's not true. It's not true. So some people, it's a false humility. I just don't have anything to bring to the body of Christ. And then the other side, there's this posture of like, well, these are my gifts. I'll use them when I want to use them. I'll decide when I want to serve. I call them this shot. And that's pride as well. So what we want to instead realize that this word gifts, uh, it comes from uh, charisma. Uh, Charis means grace. We're saved by grace. And then God not only saves us, but he gifts us. And then these gifts, uh, charisma, uh, using these gifts to serve other people, to express love and build up the body. Two broad categories. Some gifts are more in the speaking realm. Some gifts are more in the doing realm. You probably know yourself well enough to know are your gifts more in the doing realm or in the speaking realm. But if you speak for the glory of God, if you're doing things for the glory of God, and everyone's serving one another, building the body up because we all need each other, and especially as we get closer to Christ's return, we need to build up the church, build up the body, serve one another, use our gifts, and it's truly a joy. It's a truly a joy. Um, in your spirit, it's not I have to serve. It's I get to serve. I get to serve. Wow. Jesus has invited me in to serve him and to serve other people and to glorify him. It's not a have to. It's I get to. What, what an honor. One person that stands out to me in this is Matthew Barnett. I've uh, just always enjoyed hearing different stories. He serves in L.A. He went there. Uh, he was about 20 years old, and he went to L.A. He was going to plant a church, and he kind of had his own plan, and it just wasn't going well. So he looked around his neighborhood, and there was all um, kinds of different people, from people in gangs to people without food to homeless people, and he just simply started to love those people. And out of that loving people in his neighborhood, the church started to grow. It's called the Dream Center. Now it's pretty well known. And he's coming up on 50 years old. Uh, so he's been serving there a long time. The Lord's kept him there. And one story that he told, and I heard him this week, is he said there was a person in the neighborhood who was notorious as a thief. And people knew who he was and that he stole things. And one night he broke into the Dream Center. And as he broke in to steal things in the Dream Center, some of the team there saw him and started to talk to him. And they had a conversation. They just cared for him, listened, had a conversation, and he stayed. And then they said, can we bring you out a meal? We'd love to bring you out some food. And he stayed, and they kept talking. They brought out the food. They kept talking about life, getting real. Eventually, it was getting late, so they said, well, you can sleep here if you want. He stayed the night. The thieves stayed the night. And when he woke up in the morning, people had been praying over him for hours, praying over him. He's like, what is going on? He gave his life to Christ, and now he serves all the neighborhoods where he used to rip people off and steal. Now he serves in all the neighborhoods, and he's blessing the community. He's blessing the community. What is he doing? He's using his gifts. He's realizing God loves me, God's gifted me, and God gave me a purpose, and it's to serve. If you're depressed, serve. If you're down, serve. Don't get consumed with yourself. Serve. I know that sounds simple, but serve. Start serving. You will find the joy of the Lord returns when you start serving. I think there's a lot of people in the body of the Christ trying to figure out how to engage. 
It's like a lot of people have taken a year off. You know, it's like, it's time. It's time to serve again with the joy of the Lord. It's time to serve. And uh, when, when you um, consider the times we're living in for such a time as this, I, I believe that um, God is moving in many unprecedented ways. Here's one thing that really encouraged me. Illumination is a collaborative. It's a collective right now. There's many ministries that translate the Bible. And about 10 of these ministries have come together. I'm grateful for all of them and how sweet it is when ministries come together. Unity, John 17, it's what Jesus prayed for, right? One family, we can serve together. So we have Bible translators in our international partners who are doing phenomenal work to bring the gospel to the world. And they're part of this. But illumination is... Bible translators coming together with the clear goal of bringing the Bible to every tribe and language on the earth by the year 2033. That it could be done in the next 12 years. And currently, you know, there's 7,000 languages on the earth. 3,832 languages still need the Bible in their heart language. That's about a billion people in Bible poverty they shared for the statistics. And yet, look what can happen in the time we're living in. Remember Matthew 24, 14? The gospel will go to the ends of the earth, and the end will come. As we draw near to Christ's return, I believe that this kind of unity, collaboration, even digital ministry right now, the gospel is spreading widely to places where it hasn't reached in the past. Bibles are being translated don't miss what God is doing at the end times. God has given us Bible translators, digital ministry, missionaries. He's given courage to his people to go finish the Great Commission and take the gospel to everybody. Notice what's happening at the end times. Don't be asleep to what God is doing for such a time as this. Again, it's God's perspective with suffering with the end times. And then here's encouragement. Look what Peter writes in chapter 4, verse 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you are participating in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And there's a picture here, followers of Jesus thriving near the end, thriving and the action is to move with the Spirit today, to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Peter writes, don't be surprised by these fiery ordeals. In fact, things might get worse before they get better. I know everyone wants to hear things are just going to get better. Everyone wants to hear it's just going to turn around. It's just going to get all back to normal, better. Things are going As you read the Bible and you get closer to Christ's return, Many things get worse before they get better. Peter was writing to people. I told you they were suffering. One of the ways that they were suffering is there was a fire in Rome, and they were blamed for this fire. As a result, 
They were covered in pitch. Uh, Nero, who was in charge, covered them in pitch, set them on fire. They were the burning lights. They were like torches. And in the gardens at night, the Christians were being burned to light up the night. That was the suffering that they were going through. Peter acknowledges it. And yet, yet, he says, rejoicing. Yet is an important word in our faith. (laughs) Here's everything I'm going through. I'm not going to minimize any of it. Yet, I praise God. A yet. It's important to have a yet in your faith. Yet, rejoicing. Okay? Explain the rejoicing. Because we're participating in the sufferings of Christ. We bear the name of Jesus. We're not suffering in vain. We're suffering for the Lord. And ultimately, his glory will be revealed when he returns. Now, when I think about suffering and rejoicing, I'm thinking about the country of Iran. Because one of the things that's good to know about what God's doing these days is God is doing a remarkable work in the country of Iran. And there are people turning to Jesus, starting with dreams and vision, but now um, even hearing angelic visions, hearing scripture even, coming to know Jesus, risking their lives for Jesus, spreading the gospel, laying down their lives. There's more documentation, there's more stories coming out now out of Iran where people are courageously following Jesus at any cost. And the threats are real. Imagine this is how they leave their home, living for Jesus. If I don't come back tonight, you know what happened. That's the reality. Because choosing to live for Jesus in some countries means you don't know if you're coming back that night. And that's the reality in Iran. And so here's a story from an Iranian woman who was married to an American man and they came back to the U.S. for a little while. And they noticed the difference between the culture of Jesus followers in Iran and the culture of Jesus followers in America. And they were concerned about their own walk with God because they felt like when they returned to America, the phrase was a satanic lullaby. Like it was just so easy to be lulled to sleep and fit in with the culture and not be fervent in prayer and not share their faith and just kind of go through some of the motions. I said, that's what happened when we came back to America. It was like there was this lullaby just putting us comfortable, comfortable, comfortable. Now, I'm not saying that all followers of Jesus are asleep, but I am saying in our country, that's one of the primary temptations for followers of Jesus is to get a little sleepy. And I'm not saying it's easy to follow Jesus in Iran, one of the temptations in Iran would be to shrink back because you might be killed. If you're really baptized, if you really lead people to Jesus, you might be killed, and you got to decide if you're willing to or not. So a lot of people in Iran, they just know, I might not make it back tonight. I'm just saying be mindful of the different locations, what God is doing, the temptations in different locations, and how do we all follow Jesus together, pray for each other, support each other, encourage each other, and... um, 
I'm praying for America. I'm pray- we need a revival in the sound. We need an awakening in America. I'm encouraged by the story of Elijah the prophet who confronts the idolatry in the land. There's a showdown at Mount Carmel. Baal and the prophets. And this is what happens. He really exposes the idolatry and the people realize the Lord is God. And the people repent and it's in a time of drought. And after the people repent, Elijah... Now he's praying. He's praying fervently. He's got his face to the ground. It's in between the knees. It's on the ground. He's praying fervently for rain to come. The people have repented. The idolatry is gone. He's praying for the land. He's praying for the rain. And he has a servant go seven times and just keep looking. Do you see any clouds? No clouds. Do you see any clouds? No clouds. He's just praying. Do you see any clouds? No clouds. The seventh time, there's a cloud the size of a fist. Elijah says, the rain's coming. The rain's coming. I'm telling you, you just keep praying. Repentance and prayer is how we're going to see revival and healing in the land. It's going to be prayer and repentance that brings revival and healing in our land. And so like Elijah, the Bible says, James says, a man just like us, praying, praying, the rain's coming. The rain's coming. With repentance, the rain will come. I'm praying for the rain, uh, the spiritual rain, to come and refresh our land. Uh, When Jesus says you're blessed when you're insulted, you're persecuted, mistreated, it doesn't mean it feels good to be insulted or mistreated or even stick out in the culture or have people not like you or hate on you or misunderstand you. But what it does mean, blessed, means that you are honored and that you are going to be rewarded. And being honored and rewarded is far greater than just feeling good right now. Say, well, how are we going to live this out? Thriving in the challenges we're facing, immense challenges, I go back again to the Old Testament, Zechariah, he's a prophet, and this is a time where it was a time to rebuild, Zerubbabel rebuilding the temple, and God encouraged them, and he said, he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, so God speaking to a prophet, Old Testament, God would communicate often through the prophet to Zerubbabel, who's going to do work to bring back the temple, and he declares it, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. How do we live in the end times? Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Opposition, what are you? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to the shouts of God bless it, God bless it. The work will be finished. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. What God was saying to the people is delay is not defeat. And I want to say we've had a lot of delays the last year. Delay is not defeat. God is still at work here for the people. He's going to restore. He's going to build up again. He's going to build up the church. He's going to have a place where there's spiritual repentance or spiritual life. There's vibrancy. The building's coming back. Jerusalem. God's going to rest, restore what's happened over exile. But what the people needed was not a human perspective. They needed God's perspective. That's what they needed. What we need today is not more human perspective We need God's perspective. What we need today is not a few more ounces of human power. What we need today is God's power. We need the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit in God's people. God's people filled with God's Spirit. 
And that hasn't changed since the days of coming back from exile. And as we near the end, I want to say there will be simultaneously both terrible and profoundly wonderful experiences. They're going to be amplified as we near Christ's return. So what is it going to be like? There's going to be some terrible things and there's going to be profoundly wonderful things and it's not going to be either or. So often in our lives, I hear people saying like, wow, everything's awesome or everything's terrible. And you know what? In the end times, you're just going to see a lot of both. You're going to see a lot of heartbreaking stuff and you're going to see a lot of lives transformed and it's both and. It's not either or. So set your minds like Christ when you think of suffering, when you think of the end times, when you think of thriving in the middle of this, the intensity picks up. But don't fear, don't despair. God has a plan. And look at the last verse, verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Even though we suffer, as we draw near to Christ's return, Commit yourselves, that's commit your soul to the faithful creator and continue to do good. Uh, I want to show a picture here. Uh, this is going back, um, looking at Luis Palau's life. He uh, just went to be with Jesus, late 80s, been so faithful. God has uh, really worked through him in our nation immensely and in other nations. You see, there's his face and uh, just a dear man, always Every time, whether it's up front, behind the scenes, encouraging, authentic, uh, the spirit-filled life, I think of Luis Palau. Uh, Luis Palau. So my time with Luis Palau goes back to when I was in seminary. Uh, that's me on the right. I, I had hair. I, I, I did have hair. And uh, so that's me in my late 20s. And uh, meeting Luis, this was a time of training where he brought in uh, maybe about 20 people from you know different parts of the country to spend about three days in Portland with him and it was a time of training and for me at that time in my life a couple of things to know uh, first of all you know I didn't come to the Lord till later in life and then uh, my family was not happy I was going into ministry I'll tell you, that was not a happy decision at all so I had that and then also I had someone who was really a mentor saying that, like, I went to the wrong seminary, you know? And I'm just trying to figure out, I'm in seminary during this time, and I'm just trying to figure out, okay, um, what direction is, do you ever have those times in life, those defining moments, like, where am I going, and what am I doing, and who's here, and who's with me, and who understands, and Luis just came in, and those three days were a defining time in my life. And I, I um, felt like I got a sense that I would be pastor and evangelist. I didn't know what that was going to look like exactly, but, um, but that's where God had led me um, and wired me. And I got to tell you, though, it was such an intense time. I was sick. It's a longer story, but in my early 20s, when I went to Africa and took a medication to prevent malaria, one of the symptoms is major problems with my heart in atrial flutter and skipping beats, racing heartbeat of 160 beats a minute, and during these three days with Luis, I was in uh, a hotel in Portland, and my heart could not get the right rhythm all night long. And it was one of the worst nights. 
And this was, you know, many years afterwards, and it was just, it was out of rhythm. And I was just, do I go to the hospital? Do I not? I don't know anyone in Portland, really. You know, it's a middle of the night. And this was a scary time. Uh, but yet God was moving, and Luis was there. So I look back, and we got to spend time with Luis and Mount Herman and many other connections. But I just put that picture there because it just looks like two guys smiling and, you know, um, well, a mentor's there. But um, it was a defining time. I believe as Peter writes this and the recipients pick up this letter, it's a defining time. When you've got friends and family being killed and, and you're trying to figure out how are we going to respond, it's a defining time. And it very well could be a defining time in your life and in your walk with God. What, what God was whispering to me, even in the hotel, is that he's still with me and there's a calling on my life. Maybe God's been whispering that to you, that he's still with you, and there's a calling on your life. And fear isn't going to win, but you trust the Lord, and he restores, but you've got to abide. And it's going to be through the Holy Spirit, not your own strength. What, what is God saying to you? Listening to God. Listening to God. When things don't feel right, maybe when your heart's skipping a lot of beats, listening to God. God, are you still here? What are you saying? And I'm going to have the worship team come up front right now. I'm going to give kind of a unique opportunity, and uh, both at home and here. If you're at a point and you really sense it that you need more of the Holy Spirit, and God is really, he wants you to really step up and step forward in your walk. Now, in one sense, you could say that's all of us, and it is, but I want to invite anyone that really senses that this is a significant time in your relationship with Jesus. You've been listening to him, and he's wanting you to step up. He's wanting you to step forward, and he's wanting, really, to give you power through the Holy Spirit, kind of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. Just like we're reading about in this letter from Peter to other saints, other followers of Jesus, in the middle of a difficult time, God, and as we near your return, Jesus, there's a call to step up and not be silent, not be in the shadows. And I thank you for the people that have come forward. I thank you for the people at home, God, who are standing right now. And together, we're praying for these people. God, we're coming alongside, agreeing with these people. You promised, Luke eleven thirteen. 13, how much more will you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? God, by coming forward, these people right here, they're asking for the Holy Spirit. They know they can't do it in their own strength, God. They sense there's a call on their lives right now. They can't do it by might and power. We ask that you'd fill them. Your word says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, God. As they're surrendering to you in worship, Lord, their lives are yours. Their gifts are yours. Their priorities are yours. Their time is yours. And we thank you, God, how you move and you answer prayer. God, we pray that through your spirit, you do a special work, God, that these people would be faithful to the work you're calling them to. Protect them from the enemy, God. Empower them. Thank you for the gifts that you've given them. Don't let the enemy and any lies come in and slow them down, Father. We pray that you give them an unction by your Holy Spirit, God, being faithful to what you've called them to do. Thank you that they're sensitive to the Spirit listening to your leading. And we thank you, God, and we pray that you would get all the glory, get all the glory as the fruit comes, as the lives are changed, as they use their gifts, not pride, but you get all the glory. 
And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yo, subscribe to YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel.